When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In Marvel Studios' Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, martial arts master Shang-Chi, played by Simu Liu, attempts to live a normal life in San Francisco. Despite this, he is pulled away from the mundane to confront the past he thought he left behind. This draws him into the web of the mysterious Ten Rings organization and his father, Wen Wu. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Marvel Standom. And this week, we are talking about Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. With me for all time and always, I have Den of Geek TV editor Katie Burt. And I have a couple of special guests this week. I have Bernard Boo, who is a member of the San Francisco Critics Circle and a frequent contributor to DenofGeek.com. And I have Gene Ching, a 32nd generation disciple of the Shaolin Temple, the publisher of Kung Fu Magazine, and fortunately for the folks at Den of Geek, a contributor over here as well. I guess the first thing to start with here is the fact that Shang-Chi is probably the most obscure character that Marvel has given a headline slot to since Guardians of the Galaxy. And even though this is a character with like nearly a 50-year history in comics, I feel like the general public doesn't have a lot of familiarity with him in his world. So I'm just curious to see who here has like kind of some background with the character and what your thoughts are about the character's comic book history coming into this. You know, I, I definitely did research, uh, you know, when I found out that the movie was coming out. But, um, you know, yeah, it was a completely obscure, total blind spot for me, which was an interesting position to come into this from. Yeah, I'm the same as Bernard, which, you know, has been the case even with some of the better known uh, Marvel Comics characters, to be honest, because I haven't read a lot of the comics, um, even though I've been, you know, watching the MCU since the beginning. But so it was kind of actually really nice to come into this without knowing a lot about the character, because I think at this point in the MCU, if you have been with it for, you know, 10 plus years, it's a bit of a unique experience um, to have this kind of like novelty and freshness infused in into the MCU. And I'm hoping we get more of that in phase four and moving forward. I remember the impact it had on the martial arts community. I wasn't a very big comics book guy, and so I didn't read it, but uh, a lot of my friends were really fascinated by it. The original early stuff felt kind of derivative. I mean, it was obviously in the wake of Bruce Lee and had that sort of styling to it. And uh, there were certainly some issues that we would consider racist at this point with his origin, with his original origin. So I'm really glad to see that they, uh, they retooled it and uh, uh, reinvented the whole father story on a whole different level than, uh, than how it was originally. But uh, stylistically, uh, it took a lot from Bruce Lee at least the, the original comic, and also what was happening in Shaw Brothers and 
Golden Harvest in the, in the movies at the time, because there was, you know, we always think about Bruce Lee in the West because he had such impact on Hollywood. But at the same time, there was this huge movement coming from Hong Kong film uh, that was uh, just had a whole different culture on its of its own. Sorry, Jean. I just realized your. I just saw your background. Are you sitting in a chair? <laughs> I am sitting in a chair, and uh, you know th- these are standard uh, Ten Rings issue. I should let cool. you know. Cool. <laughs> it looks great. <laughs> these are called Tiger Hook Swords. And I specialized in this weapon. I used to tournament with it. Cool. And uh, I was so excited to see it be like the major weapon in the in the Ten Rings because mm-hmm. it's such a unique uh, example of, of Chinese weaponry. That's one of the reasons why I specialized in it. So I've, I've been working them again and I relearned the form. Um, it, it's just, uh, it got me re-inspired with these. I don't know how long I'll keep them on the chair here. I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to poke out my eye when I sit down. So I, I want to get one that glows. <laughs> it'll sit nice to my next nice to my uh next to my lightsaber you mentioned that uh the shang chi comics you know there are elements of them that are certainly problematic by today's standards and i'm sure you know a lot of this stuff was created with with good intentions i'm sure but it was created by you know by white american men in the 1970s and who were really just kind of filtering things in that they had seen in uh you know in the kung fu movie craze of, of the era in recent comics, they've finally divorced him from the Fu Manchu stuff. Uh, now, granted, in the comics, his origin is still different slightly from what we see in the film in, in as much as it's like a different, uh, you know, criminal warlord, powerful man, uh, not Wenwu. Personally, for me, as somebody who was not overly familiar with the character, like I had read some of the vintage stuff. And I was just kind of familiar with, with Shang-Chi from his appearances in like various Avengers comics and like he gets starring like Spider-Man books every now and then. I was really impressed by just how accessible they made the character for this film and for new audiences. And um, do you feel that they kind of, I mean, do you feel it was uh, successful in reinventing the character so completely? Absolutely. I think coupling uh, uh, Liu and Aquafina was a brilliant choice. Their chemistry on screen is fantastic, and uh, you know Aquafina was just perfect into to being sort of that witness that sort of every man's like like who are you? Those lines were just perfect. She was nailing the really well, and I th- thought uh, Simon Liu's character. Yeah, I was skeptical about him, you know, at first, and I I started watching Kim's Convenience to kind of get a sense of who this guy was when they first announced it because he didn't have a martial arts background. And then um, I totally fell in love with Kim's Convenience and wound up binging the entire show and was heartbroken when it got canceled because, you know, it's just so brilliant at what it does. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I was very happy with the way it, it all turned out. So I'm a huge MCU fan. I mean, I'm like a 90s kid, so, and I was a comic book geek in the 90s. So I, I you know, it's this whole MCU thing is like the dream come true for me. I didn't think that, superheroes would ever be taken seriously on the big screen um but and even like i guess i guess more of a long shot for me was to have like an asian american character in the lead of this huge movie you know from the biggest studio in the world i mean this is this is amazing but it it also came with a lot of apprehension uh, on my end because you know i don't exactly trust hollywood to (laughs) i mean this sounds crazy but i don't exactly trust hollywood to portray us as human beings, like three-dimensional human beings with idiosyncrasies and 
flaws and strengths. So I was, I kind of had my guard up going into this. There were so many moments in this film, which is just um, such a fun adventure. You know, there's so it's uh, like every MCU movie, you know, there's just like a standard of quality and it definitely meets that standard of quality. And it takes you to so many surprising places. And uh, the, the rhythm is so, um, I don't know, kind of frenetic at times and then intimate at times. But there were a few moments uh, throughout the film where what I was seeing on screen was just so compelling that I forgot that I was supposed to have my guard up. Uh, they earned my trust throughout the movie when they were driving that, was it a Jeep, like through the bamboo forest? And it was just so exhilarating and fun. And Ben Kingsley was making me laugh my ass off. I was like, oh, they're, they're actually treating us seriously here. I forgot it was like an Asian movie. It's not. It's just a great movie that um, happens to star, um, a, a, you know, Asian people. So I, I thought the movie was was awesome. I had a great time. Yeah, I love that um, Shang-Chi or Sean's character is also, he's very different from like a traditional stoic action hero, you know, which he's he's presented as, or eventually we find out like he is a killer and he has the capacity to enact like very serious violence on people. But he's so vulnerable and goofy and kind and and he's not cynical I think there's a lot of or at least, at least some like MCU um, protagonists who are very sarcastic obviously and that's part of their character and I think that can be really fun but to have characters like this who offset that with a kind of earnestness um, yeah especially in a movie like this where you have um, you know Tony Lund playing this very um, hardened um, sad antagonist in Wen Wu, it just, it balances that a lot. And obviously his relationship with Katie, played by Aquafina, um, goes a long way to humanizing that. And having her as an audience surrogate, as you were saying, Jean, I think works really well. I personally feel like this is the best, this is the best Marvel Cinematic Universe villain, uh, certainly since Michael B. Jordan's Killmonger in Black Panther. People are always like, oh, Marvel has a villain problem. Like the villains, like the stakes are never high enough or the villains aren't really anything to talk about. Like unless it's Thanos. And then of course, Killmonger like, stole the movie in Black Panther. But when we, and this is not just because of uh, Tony Lung's incredible performance, but his motivations are like, are, are so nuanced compared to a lot of what we see in these films. Um, what, what does everybody have to say about him? Because I was just fascinated by this character. Well, Tony Leung is a total A-list actor globally. And I think um, a lot of his films probably aren't recognized that well by the American audience. But internationally, I mean, he's best actor in Cannes for In the Move of Love. Um, he's been a five-time winner of the Hong Kong Film Awards. Uh, has done films with every great uh, Chinese director, you know, Hong Lee and uh, Wong Kar Wai has done so many amazing projects. He is such a veteran actor. And, uh, you know, they range from like these incredibly poignant romances, these crazy bloody John Woo uh, gangster films, and uh, to these goofy, ridiculous comedies. I mean, he's got an incredible range. I have so much respect for him as an actor. And it's just great to see him in a Hollywood role, because he really hasn't broken Hollywood despite of his, his international fame. Yeah, I actually think I disagree with you, Mike, in the sense that I think a lot of why <laughs> why this villain works so well is because of Tony Lung. I, I do think, you know, there is something there in the script to go off of, but I think, like, 
a villain turns, you know, bad or, or vengeful because his, like, perfect wife died in uh, a horrible way is, is a bit of a trope. Um, I do think it's interesting that he was basically, like, a villain for most of his life, and he had this little bre- brief um, respite where he, like, played DDR with his family. Um and then he goes back to that and it's treated in that way as like that was kind of the like hiccup in his villain story. It wasn't, you know, the other way around where he started as like some kind of hero or, or every man and then um, became evil. He's someone I really admire because he was one he was in one of the first um, like foreign language films I saw in Infernal Affairs. Um, and oh, it's so good. And um, yeah, just like. Watching all of his stuff, I had like a mini one way um, marathon this past year in the lead up to um, watching Tony Lung in this, and he just brings he brings um, another level of gravitas to whatever he's in, even if that project is already amazing. How about? Tony Leung in that '80s flashback with that suit, <laughs> with the big lapels. <laughs> And it's like rolled, rolled the Miami Vice rolled, rolled up. up sleeves. Is there any guy handsomer yeah. than that guy in that scene? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think what's so brilliant about him uh, as an actor, and he's you know he's demonstrated this uh, time and time again, is um, you know as Katie alluded to mentioned, there are okay, so there are lots of moments in the film where he's meant to look like a hard ass, right? Like he's meant to look like most intimidating guy on the planet and he's convincing at it, mm-hmm. which, you know, like we're used to seeing honestly from like older male Asian actors, like that's kind of a thing that, that we see a lot uh, when we are portrayed on the big screen, but that like that DDR scene, the tender scenes that you see of him in those flashbacks, those are just as convincing as the moments when he's a hard ass. That's the, that's the brilliance of Tony Leung. Like he, he can really do it all kind of effortlessly. While he's rarely referred to as Wenwu in the comics, this character is is the Mandarin, who, of course, you know, we met in Iron Man 3. Uh, this movie does a great job of kind of recontextualizing the events of Iron Man and Iron Man 3. Um, but in the comics, you know, Wenwu and the Mandarin are one and the same, and it is one of those kind of unfortunate uh, racial stereotypes and the comics did try and move the character away from that. You know, I feel like starting in the 90s, they started kind of like they realized they they needed to reinvent this guy a little bit. But it's still, there was only so much you could do with the name. And the rings themselves were actually like, you know, rings on your fingers. And, and this movie just completely blew up all of the iconography associated with that character and, and created something much more nuanced. The movie still manages to not be dismissive of... Iron Man 3, which itself is kind of like, you know, a a third rail for some people. I love Iron Man 3, personally, but, like, I think it was really impressive how it's like, look, this all happened, this all mattered, but, like, just a a handful of lines of well-delivered dialogue just changed the perspective of, you know, uh, of how you look at one of the highest-grossing movies of all time, and I I think that's really fascinating. Yeah, to have those... Those little moments, I think, went a long way to integrating this this movie into, you know, the larger franchise and, and universe. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of when Guardians of the Galaxy came out. And for a while there before, I don't know, um, I guess in Infinity War, 
the Guardians just kind of felt like a separate corner of the mm -hmm. MCU. So you kind of got that sense of scope. Um, so that when they did meet the Avengers, it was like a big deal. That first like kind of revealed trailer where they meet Thor and he says, uh, who are you guys? I mean, that moment is everything. Like, it, And I think the fact that Guardians was its own separate thing added to the gravity of that. Like, just felt like I, I was in it, man. I wasn't I wasn't thinking about the ramifications of what's going on in this movie um, in relation to the larger story, which is good. Uh, I think I felt the same way in Black Panther as well. I love the the integration of Wong. <laughs> Benedict Wong is one of my favorite actors, and you talk about a voice with gravitas, man. That guy could could read the phone book, and it would sound amazing. And, and I, I love just the way he would, he fit into this story, and the way that kind of maybe that's a leaping off point into Doctor Strange. I'm very excited about the the potential there. This is a, a big week for Benedict Wong because he like people are going to see just how wonderful he is in just a, like a couple of minutes of screen time in this movie. And he steals the Spider-Man No Way Home trailer. Don't cast that spell. It's too dangerous. Fine. I won't. I think this is going to be Wong's year. I, uh, I, I think this is this is a character that they really want to position as a fan favorite. I hope so. He was fabulous in that Netflix uh, Marco Polo series. Great uh, chance to see that, and uh, everything he's done, I've always just been dazzled by him. You know, he just got such character, you know. And something that we've talked about a lot on Marvel Standom is the idea that there seem to be two tracks to the MCU right now, right? There's the weird, magical, multiversal side of things, and then there's like kind of the more grounded, political, real-world stuff. So it's like you're either doing you know, Doctor Strange and WandaVision and Loki, or you are Black Widow and, and Falcon and the Winter Soldier and stuff like that. But Shang-Chi is the first of these projects that feels like it's part of both of these worlds. And I think that's really significant. And I think, at least for me, that tells me that they have a lot of faith um, in this character and his ability to, to kind of help unify the MCU going forward. Um, wh what were your favorite kind of uh, MCU connections in this? I mean, for me, I think it it falls more into that first track you were talking about. I didn't I didn't think there was as much, um, you know, explicitly political storytelling that was happening here. But one of the parts of this movie that I wish that they had more time for, and I think has the most potential moving forward, is um, Shang Chi's sister, uh, Ji Ling, and I think seeing her. Um, I was really upset that she didn't get a moment with Wen Wu before he died. I thought that was really, um, I don't know. I, it was a missed opportunity for me. But I think, um, you know, seeing that moment where she's moved back into her father's, um, like, headquarters and kind of taken over, what's going to happen next for this character who I don't think is very clearly a, you know, hero or a villain. She's somewhere in the middle, and that's, that's really interesting to me. Yeah, she was a real unknown. Her background as an actress she mm. is, is very, it's like her first big project. And I, I, I tried to do some research on her and there's like nothing. So I'm really curious. Yeah. yeah. I was like, okay, you're just, you're yeah. just an MCU star now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what was cool for me about the post credit scene um, with, it was Wong and Captain Marvel and Bruce, right? Mm-hmm. What was cool for me is like I'm really used to seeing like 
like when I do see Asians on the big screen, it's like, like in a movie with a bunch of other Asians. You know, so like, you know, maybe we're like leaders, but we're just kind of leading other Asians. That's kind of how we're, we're portrayed. So for me, just to see those two actors, Aquafina and Simu Liu, standing next to the Avengers was like such a cool moment for me. I, I actually teared up, you know, because like, I feel like people who look like me just aren't ever, we're always just like, kind of like a tier or two below as far as like, yeah, the, the, the film industry. And we're, you know, we're never portrayed as formidable and leaders, um, which is like disingenuous because we are leaders, you know, in the real world. So to see Simu and Aquafina standing with those two actors um, in this kind of movie, that's what I'm most looking forward to as far as how they um, uh, weave these characters into the larger story is just for me personally, just seeing this Asian American guy hanging out with the Avengers. Like, that's so cool. It's so cool. I teared up, man. It was a big deal for me. What do you think was happening with uh, the analysis they were doing of the rings? They seem to, they say they, there's something, like it's summoning something, right? What, what does everybody think is happening there? I think it's no big deal. Probably nothing's going to come of it. Yeah, nothing. Marvel never pays off, right? I have no idea. It feels like deep, deep Marvel comics lore that I'm just, you know, way beyond, you know. It was interesting to watch the most recent um, Eternals trailer after having watched this movie and having seen, like, you know, the creatures they were fighting in the third act. Um, Are those... So are those meant... Mike... Are those meant to be deviants? Is yeah. that, are they the same sort of thing or is that not related? No, but I just wrote something down and underlined it on my, on my notepad here. I, ha- I just had an idea. So, oh God, you're, gonna, you're all going to be so sorry that we <laughs> opened this can of worms now. Uh, so, so the premise of the Eternals in the comics when they were introduced is like those giants that you see, those giant robot looking things, the Celestials. Those created life on earth and they're supposed to return periodically to kind of judge their creations and determine if like a planet is worth you know worth it to continue continue Uh on and that seems to be like that might be what's happening in eternals i wonder if the beacon that they refer to at the end uh you know that's coming from those rings i wonder if what it's if, if what it's beckoning to is uh, is possibly these these celestials and like you know the rings might have been made out of a remnant of ancient celestial technology, mm-hmm. which I think would make some sense and it would correct it would connect this more directly to that film. Um, but now I can't even remember with all the pandemic delays and everything else. I can't even remember anymore if Eternals <laughs> was supposed to come out before Shang Chi in the first place. So who knows? I like that theory though. It feels like it feels something like that. We've gotten this long without talking about the fights in this movie, and that's in part because I didn't want to just boil this down to being Marvel's martial arts movie. But the fights in this are pretty great. Uh, but Gene, you, I feel, are are particularly well positioned to talk about some of the fight choreography in this movie. Uh, what, what did you think of the action scenes here? Oh, it was it was very satisfying. I mean, this is not only a great Marvel movie, but it's a great kung fu movie. They they really nailed what they were trying to do. Um, they had an amazing team, which was really smart. Uh, Andy Chang, who did Into the Badlands and was one of the protégés of Jackie Chan. A lot of these guys were protégés of Jackie Chan. And of course, the late Brad Allen, 
um, who was also one of Jackie's protégés. Uh, you can totally see, like in the in the scaffold fight on the high rise, that is such it just reeks of that Jackie Chan style of choreography. And uh, but done very, you know, I gotta hand it to Simu Liu. He did a really great job, you know, and his stunt people. You know, the one thing about Shang Chi is he's not masked, so they can't CGI it. They can't. Netflix's Daredevil pull off a lot of great fight scenes, but he was masked, so you could swap out the players really easily. Shang Chi did, didn't have that that advantage. Is there any particular styles that you noticed people fighting in in this movie, or was this just more of like kind of a, a general fight choreography? You know, it's pretty much. Uh, 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 um, uh, mosaic of styles um one of the things that uh does kind of stick out i'm sure you noticed how it looked a little bit like uh, avatar the airbender uh, particularly with michelle yo and talo doing that sort of windy thing um avatar the airbender was actually choreographed by this guy one of my martial cousins uh, sifu kisu and he built every airbender style on a specific martial art and so the actual airbending style uh was a style called Baguajang, which is what Michelle references the most when when she's doing her choreography. You know, some of the kicks were straight out of Baguajang. Uh, in terms of Shang-Chi, um, I mean, you can see some Wing Chun, you can see some uh, Baji Chuan, but it's pretty general, you know. Uh, I think, and I think that was actually kind of wise not to be too uh, system-bound, because that really wasn't the plot of this, you know. One thing I, I definitely got to bring out, though, is the, the Easter eggs to Kung Fu Hustle. Because you see the poster in the back, I think it's Simu's bedroom. You see the Kung Fu Hustle poster. And then the main, the guy that teaches archery in, in Talo, the, that, that, that's uh, Yun Hua. And Yun Hua was the landlord in Kung Fu Hustle. Did you have a favorite fight scene or fight moment, Gene? I liked the scaffold fight. I liked its complexity. I like the bus fight too. The two opening fights were really strong. Mm-hmm. Once you start getting into the power rings, the, 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 that get you know, that superhero fights, right? Yeah, and, it's less. And interesting. I love those too. Yeah, you know, yeah. But you know, from strictly a kung fu standpoint, I thought the first two were uh, were stand out. Bernard, how about you? Oh man, the uh, yeah, the scaffold fight in Macau. I could not breathe. I don't think I breathed <laughs> once through that entire sequence. Um, like, especially, I mean, there's a beautiful shot where um, Aquafina's dangling <laughs> off of this beam that's kind of like threatening to break off the side of this building. And uh, uh, Sean is, is running to, to her rescue. And he kind of, they sold me that, you know, that he was not going to probably make it to get to her and I just could I could not breathe during that scene it was so good and I felt um you know Gene and I we saw it in the theater and there was there was like a there was an audience you know it was it definitely wasn't a capacity but there were a lot of people there and to just you know when there's a moment that's so cinematic and enthralling that you can kind of feel the theater move like you can feel people kind of moving around in their seats that, yeah, I could totally feel that in, during that scene. I love that scene. I can't wait to see it. Absolutely. Again. And that was a press-only screener. So, um, you know, you're talking about people who watch movies. So I think right. we were all glued at that. Where does everybody feel this movie? This is the third kind of, you know, martial arts blockbuster that's come out this year. You know, unfortunately, 
all of them were hobbled by COVID. But we had Mortal Kombat, we had Snake Eyes, and we had Shang-Chi. And all of them tried to do very different things. Um, how do you think Shang-Chi st- stacks up against those movies, both just overall and in terms of, like, you know, also in terms of its, like, of its fight choreography and things like that? I mean, ironically, this, to me, was the, the most engaging one. And, um, I mean, both Snake Eyes and, uh, and Mortal Kombat had a much stronger cast in terms of martial talent. I mean, uh, Mortal Kombat was stacked in terms of how many great martial arts actors they had. And, 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 and Snake Eyes, too. I mean, there's a whole thing with choreography in that fight choreography has to maintain that suspense. Right? It has to move the story along and... It, it has to kind of tell the story in the fight. Uh, and Shang-Chi just did that in a, in a marvelous way, no pun intended. But it was just, it was just really engaging. All the fights were just very appropriate and, and moved the plot along. Uh, I, was, um, I was captivated. You know? The best action movies are the ones that are able to create character-driven action. I was really blown away by... Um, the scene between Wen Wu and Jiang Li, where they, I, I keep calling it like the meat cute, <laughs> where they fight each other outside Talo. And I think, you know, the MCU has been, I think, rightfully criticized for its, its weakness in telling romantic stories. Um, and I like that there actually really wasn't a central one in this because there's nothing worse than you try to just throw that in as like an afterthought. It just doesn't work. That scene just sold me on the relationship between those two characters so well. It reminded me of um, almost like a musical, which I think um, action and fight movies like have a lot in common with musicals, um, you know, where they use scenes like that to show... Um, character and character dynamics and you see those two like dancing together and how powerful that is as a cinematic um moment it just does so much work more work than um you know the script for a big budget blockbuster like this can really do in selling a relationship like that um so yeah i really i really love this as an action film and as a martial arts film we call those flirt fights (laughs) <laughs> that's better i was like meet cute i don't know that doesn't really <laughs> describe what happened it's it's kind of a trope bernard you actually wrote den of geeks reviews for uh for mortal Kombat and snake eyes and shang chi uh how, how would you stack how would you stack these three movies against each other man you know i'm happy to say i liked all of them i mean it, it was just i i was like pleasantly surprised i i, I honestly wasn't expecting I don't know. I didn't know much about Mortal Kombat going in other than, like, I'm a Mortal Kombat fan. Um, it was, it, yeah, it was really compelling. And Snake Eyes, same thing. I was I was maybe even more so not expecting Snake Eyes to be for me. But it ended up being, like, totally entertaining as well. Shang-Chi's the best one, though. Like, for me, it's, it's at the top because of the um, emotional notes it hits. It, I, I mean, it, it's... It, particularly for me, I do want to mention this. The... Um, story between um shang chi and his dad when wu um for me and and shang chi the character is essentially asian american right um but when we're spending time with him in the story later on as an adult um this this story resonated with me like in a pretty powerful way um i don't want to get into like details of my personal life but like 
pretty much every interaction he had with his dad um, felt familiar in one way or another to me. And the theme of, you know, heavy expectations for, a, you know, first generation Asian American, um, they obviously, you know, kind of um, told that story in their own way in this like kind of fantastical MCU way, but uh, made it no less poignant for me. I, I mean, I was touched by this movie in a real way. I've been waiting for this kind of story to be told on this high of a level on the big screen. And that's why for me, Shang-Chi is at the top of the heap. Before we go, why don't you gents tell everybody where they can find you? Find me on Den of Geek. I, I love contributing to the site and um, it, it was a pleasure for me to be on here too. So uh, find me on Den of Geek and find me on Twitter at BJ underscore Boo. I'm on Den of Geek too, of course. And uh, you can find me on Facebook under Gene Ching or Twitter and Gene Ching. And everybody else, come back next week for another episode of Marvel Standom. You can find us on Twitter at Marvel Standom. You can also find us at Den of Geek US and at Den of Geek. Our web home, of course, is denofgeek.com. And you can go straight to denofgeek.com slash Marvel for all of our Marvel Cinematic Universe coverage. We're on Spotify, too. We are everywhere. And we'll be back next week covering everything else the MCU Multiverse has to offer. Thanks for watching.